Welcome to the worst nightmare of all. Reality. Explore the lesser-known stories of our unknown world. Join the pursuit of the paranormal with Ash and Greg. Happy Thursday, Ash. Happy Thursday, don't usually see you today. No, I know, I know. Um, it's not like we speak on social media practically every day. <laughs> <laughs> every evening and several times a week on video chat. But no. yeah, nice to see you on a Thursday. Yeah, and I hope our listeners are looking forward to part two of our Christian Lander interview. Yeah, so if you haven't already listened to part one, worth listen to, that listen to that first purely although they're separate cases you'll get the appreciation of the amount of detail that christian's going to go into in this episode and this particular one the thunderbolt ufo incident is insane i've never heard of it before nope. it happened in nottingham literally the same location as the previous um case that he talks about on part one albeit years apart um bananas um and completely bananas, bananas. yeah completely <laughs> fascinating um and just when you think you you know what's coming you don't it's it was yeah is it a roller coaster it was a roller coaster yeah yeah especially when you think to yourself oh my god how how have i not heard about this because yeah. when you hear all the detail of what happened and who was involved and emergency services and whatnot. It's just like, how, what? It's, yeah, it's definitely went under my radar. Definitely. Definitely. It never even wasn't anything I'd ever heard of before. So, yeah, it's a really good one. Appreciate any feedback people have got on both of these cases. But yeah, grab a coffee, sit back and enjoy. So, sort of on that Sedgwick, you're talking about Hazel. She's the witness to the other case we're going to talk about. She is, yes. So she said to me, "Did you ever hear about the? Um, it's a it's a chimney that got hit by a UFO." And I'm like, "No." <laughs> so she then t <clears throat> proceeded to tell me about a case that happened um, in Kirkby and Ashfield. And if you were to look at this map, I don't think you guys can see this. So this is the this is the field where the, uh, the incident happened, just here. Uh, this is a place with Diamond Avenue that crosses over two roads here. So just one field away yeah. is where a UFO crash allegedly happened. Wow. And it's not just a UFO crash, UFO crash that has a simple story. It's a very complicated story with a lot of physical damage. So, which is the reason why it's a bit more of an interesting case as opposed to a UFO landing in a field and flying off and two people saw it who were elderly or they got abducted. So this... If you head over to my website, christianlander.com, this is a link to a comprehensive timeline of the events that I've recreated out of every single reference point that I could find. And I found a lot. So I literally put them in an order. So the date is the 12th of November. It's 1987. The time is 1.30 in the morning. Now, according to the Met Office, and again, there's a link to the Met Office weather data, there's no weather in the sky. The sky is clear. Uh, the scene is quiet. Most people are in their bed. They're fast asleep. And most people who are, are up who made the report, and a lot of people did, they were watching the Battle of Britain on TV at the time. 
Okay, so in the words of a, a guy who um, spoke here, Ian Paul Wadsworth, I lived on Welbeck Street. I remember watching the Battle of Britain on the TV when it hit. And talk about added sound effects. As a coincidence of happening, the bombing of Britain was taking place on the TV at the time. So the silence was disturbed outside by a thunderous explosion heard for miles. Um, and that's why it's called the Thunderbolt incident. So the, there's an explosion that a lot of people in this town definitely heard. A lot of people believe that the crash is the explosion. That is incorrect. Um, the explosion. Now, there's a lot of people who saw a, a nuclear white ball in the sky. A lady, and again, she's quoted down here. She is a, um, she saw a green Christmas tree in the sky. She saw what appears to be a lightning emanating from that object. Um, there's an object that is seen zigzagging across the sky. The Ashfield District Councillor commented that um, it was like the blitz in terms of the damage that was caused. Um, so there's a, there's, a, there's a guy called Mike West. He's an insurance salesman. He lives in the local area. Now, in, in, in trying to get the insurance claims from the damage that happened to this, I'll explain more about that in a moment. So it says that he spoke to one lady who was petrified. She saw it flying towards her house. It looped and double looped in the sky and was doing other maneuvers. The sky then suddenly became bright red. Um, Bob, who owns an electronic shop at the time, I've seen his shop. Um, the lights in the house started to dim. All the light bulbs fused and started to pop. The doorbell started to ring by itself. Immediately following this, six light bulbs fused simultaneously and my electric chip switch blew. What also happened around this time there appears a lot of houses started having poltergeist activity. A lot of places kept saying their uh, their TV aerials went went crazy, went haywire. Um, there's there's an explosion, and then up a street which is called Abbey Road. Um, so the explosion is the hitting of a house which is Eight Abbey Road. Whatever was in the air, it physically hit the chimney of this house. I've spoke to the gentleman who repaired this. Um, who works at, he worked for the council and he uh, examined the building at the day. I spoke to the fireman who attended personally. Uh, they can account the house was definitely hit by something, but could not account for what. Um, this The guy who was the owner of the flat appeared on TV the next day. He said his, uh, the, I don't, know, I don't know how your guys' living rooms are laid out. Do you have a kind of a fireplace where the chimney kind of sticks out a bit? I know what you. I know what you mean. Yeah. No. Okay. So, in his in his very powerful expression, which is on the in Central News uh, news clip, uh, all the bricks of his fireplace exploded outwards into the room, and uh, he was he literally got up from the sofa to go make himself a cup of tea, and uh, the bricks of the fireplace were embedded in the wall opposite where he was sat moments before, wow. uh, and and there was the fireman who who attended the house told me that, um, so. This UFO went along Abbey Road, having hit this building. Um, it set fire to more than 20 houses. A lot of houses had uh, hedges, had roofs um, that were scorched and burnt. Um, aerials were incinerated. They, so a lot of TV aerials and TV, so televisions and video uh, recorders were damaged due to this um, all along this one street. So let me just read some of the examples here of the comments that I got. So Carol Travis here, I lived in Diamond Avenue and we saw the Thunderbolt pass past the bedroom window. 
Nicola here says, I was five. I remember it rolling past my house. The whole house was shaking. Michelle says, I remember the event. We lived on Kirkby Folly Road. It scared me to death. The aerial superheated and split. It burned our television and connected devices. Billy S says, I expected to see something on the scan of the Lockerbie bombing when I looked out the window and I thought an airliner had crashed in the street. Diane Waterhouse says, I was in bed at the time. Um, it was a noise that woke me. It was so loud, it was thundering. The bedroom lit up bright. I opened the curtains and it came from the direction of Diamond Avenue. It went down Abbey Road. I was watching it down Columbus Street. It frightened me. I didn't know what it was. My mum's house, which is straight opposite, um, which is straight across from the flat, um, the force of the the force of the bolt shook my mum out of bed, melted the video player. My dad wasn't happy as he was taping something at the time. The, te the telephone lines had melted. I can remember it happening. It came down Columbus Street. Uh, my next door neighbour was going to bed as they as they closed the curtain. It whizzed by the house. Sue Arrowsmith says I lived on Glenside Road. It broke the windows at the back of my house. Um, she actually sent me a picture of them of the house that had been repaired. Um, Hi all, I can remember watching the Battle of Britain that night. I had dark curtains in the living room. The whole room shook, lit up bright white. Bob, I've never seen anything like this. I half expected to open my front door and find corpses in the street. Um, the local fire crew said the, the the alarm at the school had activated and that's why they had actually gone out to attend because they thought there was a fire at the school. Um, so the explosion was confirmed to be Abbey Road. The flat is number eight. Um, it was physically struck by an object. It sent uh, the, br the bricks, the glass, and the debut flag throughout the house. Uh, Chris Berry-Taylor here says, I was, um, I saw it coming out of the sky. Um, I was at my window watching as the rain. Odd, because it, bear in mind, the Met Office says there was no weather that night. He thought it was a nuke bright white ball coming down from the heavens as it hit the flats, flats at Coxmoor. Uh, the explosion echoed and it's, it went on for ages. It was deafening. I've never heard anything like it in my life. Both me and my dad thought a jumbo had clashed that aside. Um, so the fire chief, Mr. Walton, he came. So the reason why this is important because um, Hazel, she lived opposite the fire chief's house. So when she thought she heard the explosion, she went to her bedroom window, looked out, and the house opposite is where the fire chief lived. So she saw his house alarm go off for panic stations, you know, get outside, get in your car, get the fire station. So she said that she saw that happen and saw him go out to his car and obviously saw him go down to the fire station. So everyone knew something bad had happened. There was an interesting report where a, you know how you've got them kind of like, obviously you, you guys are from the same generation as I am. We remember we used to have them really big tall slides that were made of metal, um, galvanized steel at the playground. So one of them was completely melted. Um, so yeah, it was melted in, into the ground. Um, I only wish I had a picture of that because it'd be really interesting. Mm. I remember it well. Uh, it caused a lot of damage to my house and the properties opposite. I remember the incident well, said Harry Potter here. Uh, the house shook, the TV and video blew up smoking. Um, however, my son and dog slept through it all. Um, <laughs> but my hubby and I thought we were goners. So, um, the house uh, literally shook. I thought a bomb had landed on the front lawn. So I was seven or eight years old when this happened, said Chris. Um, it, it flew through a neighbor's window and smashed an old man's roof to bits. So the old man's roof uh, is the house that got hit. Well, it was actually a flat. The um, TVs blew all down the street. So there was a lady I met called Rachel Mason. Um, so she messaged me on Facebook because 
she in the conversation I put out to Facebook, I says, hey, does it? I did it once. At, does anyone remember the UFO incident? I was like, what's people's memories of this encounter? What what can you do? You remember you did you see or hear anything? Could you let me know? Because um, I was very interested to find out who had seen something and who had heard something, because the um, there's lots of messages about an explosion happening. So the explosion happened because this roof got hit and it superheated the boiler in the in the fire uh, place. And that's the sound that everyone heard across the area. So lots of people can definitely say they heard something that night, but very few people saw something. Uh, but those that did, every description is very different, very odd. Um, but Rachel Mason's view is, is very different. And, I, and the reason I messaged her is because she had a very different view of um, the houses. So this uh, Abbey Road, all the houses kind of face in on each other. However, at the end of the street, the houses actually face away and they go over a field. So her bedroom window was facing. Um, so as this craft came along the top of the houses um, where the houses are facing each other, for her, her bedroom window faced outwards in the same direction as where this UFO was going. Um, so she said that her bedroom, her bed was under the window. And so she heard the explosion. She sat up in bed, turned to face the window. And she said that she saw a an orange um, ring of fire move away from the house very quickly. Um, and she said she saw it veer towards a, the local wood. So the local wood is where I first heard the story. Uh, back in 2015, I heard that a... UFO had crashed in the woodland and bounced. I, I will use because that is the word that is quoted um, in the newspapers and by the Ashfield Councillor. So this UFO crashed and bounced in an area called Thieves Wood that is just by the A60. So this UFO bounced there, took off again, and then came down in another location quite close to Annersley Hall, you know, by Lord Byron and so on. Um, and it landed in an area there called the Warren. Now, what's really interesting about that is that uh, 45 minutes later, there's a military response. The military response is, as they said, a Chinook helicopter, seven um, Lynx helicopters, and they are doing uh, vast sweeps of the area. The um, And the Hollingwell incident, the field next to it, is where the Chinook helicopter actually landed. Um, <laughs> And, and the uh, Rachel Mason, that lady, she said, well, she, obviously she was at school, she was going to school at the time. She, she had to walk past that field and saw the Chinook uh, in that field uh, on her way to school the following day. The, um, there was a lady who owns a taxi company in the adjacent uh, village called Ravenshead. And she said that her husband was a military historian, kind of has a, a fascination with um, planes and helicopters and so on. And actually knew a lot of the, uh, the helicopter pilots and uh, she says that she knows the person who landed in that field personally. So we definitely know that happened. What's really interesting, at the time, for all the people in this particular village here, uh, the town was quarantined for four days. Um, no one could take any uh, road uh, in and around this. There was roadblocks, there was police, there was a military uh, roadblock set up, and no one could pass through this. The first time I heard about the story was 2011. Um, I was attending a, a mediumship group, and the person who was leading this group was a guy called Alan Smith. Alan Smith, in 1987, was a National Express bus driver, 
and every morning uh, at 6.30 a.m., he would drive from Nottingham to Mansfield in a National Express bus. And he told me that he was stuck in traffic that particular day and that in front of him was a HGV that had a, a recovered vehicle or something on the back of the HGV. So it was a flat deck HGV. And he said there was something on it. It was covered in black tarpaulin and it had a military escort. There was vehicles at the front and vehicles at the back and he was tailing this for more than a mile. Uh, and then it veered off one way. That's when I, that was the very first part in terms of my terms of the story when I first heard it was his story. So he told me that and goes, oh, there was a, there was a UFO crash here back in 1987. This is what I remember of it. So when Hazel told me her story, I was like, there's something fucking happened here. There's something really interesting happened. <clears throat> there was a particular guy. I, when I reached out to all those people on social media, uh, Hazel got in contact with me and she says, there's someone you really need to talk to, but beyond anyone you've spoke to. And I'm okay. She says, you can't tell anyone um, who this is, but let me set up a meeting with you. So then I went to meet this person. This person was, how do you put it? So she was a carer of a person who lived in a house that is located in the corner of Diamond Avenue and uh, whatever that road is there, it's the B6009. So he had a business at the time there. He basically was a kind of a spade as a spade kind of guy, a bit of a, you know, he sees it as it is kind of chap. So he owned the house that's on the corner there. He had a double patio window. Now, this woman was his carer in later life. And she told me that he had told her this story. So it's a kind of secondhand account. But she says that she, she was this guy's carer for more than 30 years. And uh, he trusted her with a lot in his life. So when I spoke to this woman, she says that he was very clear what happened to this this story, because something really odd happened. This is, bear in mind, this is 1987. And I, I say that with good reason. So she says that he, um, he had a car business where he repaired cars at his house. You know, a lot of people did that in the 80s. They fixed cars up, resold them back on. So at the front of his house, he had a number of cars, and it started to hail. Well, he, th he heard tappings on his patio windows. So he thought it was started to hail. So he was going to go outside and cover these cars up so they didn't get damaged from the weather. Uh, the, all the, the thunder had happened, the explosion happened. So he's now trying to cover this stuff up. As he goes to the patio window, he said he sees two lights come towards him at a thunderous speed from, um, from the field opposite coming towards his house. Now, this his house gets hit as well. But his house gets hit in a very different way. So the upstairs of his house gets, um, so how it was described to him was his, the right-hand side of the building uh, was clipped. The inside of the wallpaper had blistered with heat and the building had, um, had tipped to one side. So none of the doors in the house closed. Um, so basically forced subsidence um, in their house. So this guy was pissed, this guy was angry. So with all the, the police cornered off and the military who'd put roadblocks up in this entire area, this guy, she said that this guy went down to the crash site where he was turned away and was told if he 
was to come there again, he would not see his family anymore. Wow. So this guy was was pretty upset uh, that he would not see his family anymore. Now I found an account in a book called Cosmic Top Secret written by a guy called John King. John King was the editor of a UFO magazine in the 90s called UFO Reality. Now it appears that he interviewed that man because that account is in that book. Uh, it's called File 31. And he says it's the UFO case that's the most important case that nobody knows about. So John King, so he knows what he's talking about. So the reason why John King is relatively famous is he's the journalist who broke the story about Princess Diana inside the tunnel. So he was the guy who wrote the main story, the very first newspaper that went out. So he's very famous for being a notable uh, newspaper journalist in London, but obviously had a side interest in ufology. Um, this particular case, it's called File 31. It's in a book called Cosmic Top Secret. Um, and he interviews this man, but I found this well after this, I had this conversation with this lady. And in that, it talks about the same thing that this lady told me. She says the house not only was hit, it was covered in a silver dust. Um, the silver dust that the Department of, Defense, Department of the Scientific Investigations two days later came to his house and took samples of and cleaned up over the course of a month. This guy um, told this carer that the very the day after the UFO had hit his house, um, so there was an explosion. So it actually hit two houses. It hit HIB Road and this guy's house. Um, the military, so the police came to his house, wanted to ask him questions. The next day, the police came again to ask further questions. So this was the day he then marched down to this um, this crash location where this recovery was happening. And he was told if he makes if he keeps calling up, if he keeps going down there, he will not see his family anymore. The uh, two days later, the military um, people come to his house and take the samples. The following day, a Russian comes to his house with a translator. Oh, wow. Which is really, really bizarre. Because this is 1987. This is the height of the Cold War. So That's he insane. has to talk with a interpreter for him. Now, I say Russian is the term what he used to tell her. Um, I'm really interested at that story because there's a quite a notable... Um, Armenian investigator who's going around the UK at that time. Um, and I, my personal opinion, I think it's him. Um, he was called Armin Victorian, otherwise known as Henry X. He was quite a UFO buff at the time uh, in, in the late 1980s. So my personal opinion is I think it was him who went to this house and then asked him if he could tell him some stories. But Because obviously Armenian and Russian sound very similar. But that's, that's my opinion based on someone who I think would have been interested at that time. So in so we have a really bizarre number of accounts, accounts that happened here. So we have a street that gets set on fire, um, electrical interference that happens. We have, um, I think there was 32 um, audible accounts that I've managed to get uh, accounts of. I think there's 32 written descriptions that people have told me, but only four or five people actually saw something that night. The uh, military response is really interesting. Um, so there's 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 Chinook, there's the a Chinook and seven lynxes that have sweeping lights across the area. They're trying to find where this location is. Um, so it's it's a troop carrying helicopters. Sorry, it's um it's a helicopter surrounded by gazelles and lynxes flying at low speed with powerful searchlights. They're spotted over Normington's, uh, certainly in Ashfield, Kirkby in Ashfield. Place coming off the first site, which is where the craft first impacted and bounced. Like I said, there was a bounce in 
Thieves Wood. Now, I've been to Thieves Wood. I contacted a guy called Ben Emlyn Jones. He's a kind of a, a UFO kind of a guy in the UK. Very nice guy. Um, so he says to me uh, that he, him and a guy called Daniel Bostock, they went to Thieves Wood and they kind of recorded a video back in 2013 of this um, UFO crash here. That is the very only video I could find on the internet of this case. In 2014, he revisits the location again with Daniel and another investigator. This other investigator takes him to the actual site of where the UFO crashed in the woods. I actually completely and utterly disagree with him um, because I'm, a, I'm actually a certified drone pilot. And I went to this woodland and I took my drone up in the air and I found an area of woodland that is 92 feet across, that is 60 feet wide the other way. So it's kind of weird, oblong shape. And the trees there are around 30 feet lower. Um, the reason why I say that is because this area, the fire chief, Mr. Chief Walton, he made a comment to the newspaper, the Mansfield Chad, that an area of uh, roughly 90 feet was burned in the woodland and covered in silver dust. Mm. <laughs> um, he also, this, this fire chief also claims that the, the pine cones are burned from the inside out or that are in the area. Um, so a couple of UFO investigators at the time who were members of MUFON and the, I'm sorry, Bill Orfer, sorry. Uh, There's a guy called Dominic Belgian and he had another guy with him. So they, they investigated the case a matter of days later on site and they described where this place was and an aerial that has completely been burned out and uh, all the soil had been removed and replaced with sand and re recovered over with sand new trees new trees planted so when i made this presentation to asap they were like contact the forestry commission so i contacted the forestry commission and they told me yes in 1987 they the area was replanted with a monocrop of silver birch um due to a fire so i was able to verify that a location where it was so again when i took the drone up there i could definitely see where this location was um so something definitely happened there but this, like I said, it wasn't the, was, this wasn't the final location. So the, the, this is where the bounce happened. So it came down, took off again, then came down to a crash in an area called the Warren. The Warren is really interesting because it's, um, there's a train line there that is, um, it is known locally as the Robin Hood line. It goes from Nottingham to um, Worksop. And it goes under a, uh, a hill there. And before this hill is an area called the Warren. It's kind of an exclusively owned area. Um, there's a golf course there, and there's uh, the, the grounds of Newstead Abbey and uh, Annersley Hall. So this area is just a lot of plain, a lot of plain fields, very small number of houses there. There's a, there's a private stables there. And it's got a really high bank wall, and all the houses are on the other side of it. So you can't quite see, if you were in one of those houses, you wouldn't see what's going on down here. So that apparently is where this came to a came to an end. There was two particular individuals who came to me who said that they saw that it came down there. So I've been up to Annesley Hall a, a couple of times, um, and I've seen this area. And it indeed, is covered. It's even today is still covered in a, a layer of sand that you can find about five to six inches down. If you if you put your hands in, you can push to it and find the sand. Um, but a really interesting case. Um, What's interesting is that on, so I made this video, um, 
that on YouTube I put did a UFO crash in Nottingham in 2015 and it's so 1987 and I made this in 2015 didn't really know too much about the case at the time well before I did any detailed uh, investigation other than what I'd heard and pieced together from what um, Alan the person who told me that he saw the craft at the back of the um, truck and what uh, Hazel had first told me uh, that, that something happened in the area and the explosion that happened in the end I kind of Please send things together, made a quick video, put it out there. The um, One of the replies was, is that I saw a Harrier that night. Wow. And I was like, ah, you saw a, I saw a Harrier that night, which is really intriguing because the way that a Harrier works, um, I started to think about, before I get into the, any further into the Harrier, so the government um, did a official report on what happened here. And... Uh, they, they claimed it was a weather incident, it was a thunderbolt out of the blue, and it was just a spontaneous accident from weather. It was, it, was just a lightning, it was just a lightning strike, it was just a lightning bolt that managed to damage all these houses, go in and out of windows, go down the street, melt a slide, uh, burnt loads of TV aerials, as thus uh, the aerials of course were connected to the TV and the video players, and that's what had caused them, and it caused the strange weird, weird uh, effects of the lights. Uh, burned a kid's slide, uh, hit the other house, um, dived into the woods, came back up again, then landed the Annersley, and then dissipated and disappeared. Nothing happened. If it was just a weather incident, do you really think they'd be sending military personnel as a recovery team with helicopters, um, and then cornered the areas off and threatened a guy who went down there if it was just a weather incident? So the answer to that is probably no. <laughs> mm -hmm. But um, So locally, this area is known as the Thunderbolt incident. So what's really odd about this is that so the, the reason why I mentioned the insurance guy earlier is that one, there was an ins, like insurance shop on the high street there. And the guy who owned the shop had the things happen to him in the shop. So he then took up a legal case where he took on uh, 21 cases of um, electrical damage um, for insurance. And he was actually, he was a, he was a full, full, so he was a military guy beforehand so he not only saw it he his background was in the military <coughs> so he says that was like no nothing i ever seen before and it was like, like any thunderbolt i ever saw now his account is in that uh that far 31 in that cosmic top secret book and there's a full um you can find it online actually in terms of the what is wrote and i'll, I'll link that to you a little bit later and you can read his account the uh so he says when he was trying to file insurance claims they were denying it saying it was just an act of god an act of weather I wouldn't pay out. What's intriguing about the Harrier is that we, we have a Harrier, um, we did have, uh, not even 25 miles away. There was, a, there was a, um, an airdrome there. Well, I had a, had a Harrier squadron there. So I have this thought that what if, what if a plane, a Harrier, was having engine trouble or was flying in the area perhaps a little too low than it should have been? This area here, uh, where the Warren is, there's a particular house there that has a plaque on it that says this is the highest place in the county. So if, if the guy's Harrier, in my opinion, if his altimeter is off or is, he's flying lower than he thinks he is due to the fact that the entire environment is much higher, there's a lot of, there's not many houses in the area in this particular zone, just grass fields, it's all completely black, you probably can't see anything. So I think that this is a Harrier pilot who perhaps is doing some manoeuvres realized fuck i'm too low to the ground back and pulls back up and then 
and then he clips the house at Eight Abbey Road with the, a wing or something, or the black tail. And then he's struggling to stay up. And bear in mind, the way a Harrier's engine works, it's that thrust exhaust out the back, really high-powered heat exhaust, which would explain where everything got melted, where everything's burnt all along the street, all the hedges, all the um, all the aerials got, got burnt. And then you, it's the, the glass is really interesting. So people's windows, some were blown inwards, some were blown outwards. Um, but if you have, if you've got houses that are all semi-detached houses, you might in fact have, if this plane is going along but has a heat thrust behind it, you might have an effect where, um, as the heat is going between the houses, you might have a strange kind of um, in and out effect of the air, hot air being blasted down that might cause a strange effect. Um, and if the glasses were only, the glass in all the windows would only have been a, a single glaze. So it might have popped really easily. Um, I managed to get a schematic of how the thrust works in the Harrier. It's really interesting about the way that it pushes hot air backwards in order to maintain thrust going forward. So the view, so Rachel Mason's view is really key to this. So she had the only perspective that no one else had. She said that she saw what appeared to be a ring of fire moving away from her, or came over her house, the whole house shuddered and vibrated, and then it came down in the woods and came and came back up again, then went away. So she said in 1989, she was much older, this is five years later, um, sorry, this is two years later, and she's watching on TV for the first time Top Gun. And she says that that, she told her family, that is what I saw. She said that she saw a turbine, that she saw the, the ring, the glowing ring at the back of a turbine. And she tried to tell her friends and family. And when I saw that thread, what she was on, that, she says, no, it was a ring of fire. It was a turbine that was going away from my house. I had a clear view that no one else had. It did this. This is where it went. This is where it came up again. It also explains why it might have bounced. If it's if it's if it for instance has clipped a house a window so a wall of a house and it's struggling to stay up maybe the back wing's been clipped um, or one of the back fins has been clipped and then it's, it's struggling it's back and forth and it it decides that it's it's then taken it's pulled his um, throttle back so that all the heat has kind of burned all the houses and then he's gone I need to ease off the throttle I need to come down and land somewhere that's completely dark because he thinks it might be fields. And that's why he's come down in the woods area, thinking that it's just plain. Uh, found that it's woods. Shit, now I've got, to come, I've got to pull back up again. And as he's pulled back up, he's then come down at um, in the Warren. It would also explain... <coughs> so I, I'm actually a document from the MOD for 1987 about interceptor response. So if, the, um, if, in, the, if in the air they were facing a foreign adversary... What is their procedure? So the procedure is, in 1987, is to send uh, two interceptors to go to him. That wasn't what attended. What attended was a Chinook and a number of helicopters on a, on a search and rescue. So it sounds to me that, that like they already knew what it was they were coming to recover. Rather than being, we're going to here to intercept a UFO, or we're going to intercept a craft that is performing some strange maneuvers, and the police have reported loads of stuff. And that took 45 minutes to attend. And indeed, we have um, two helicopter bases. What indeed would have sent that? 
and we kind of worked out the timings, me and this this particular historian, helicopter lady, and she's like, no, it would take about 45 minutes to get a Chinook here. And I was like, ah, okay, so we definitely have a, a search and rescue mission here or a recovery mission, uh, as opposed to a UFO crash. So I think it's really interesting we go from seeing something in the air that is lots of weird, just different descriptions, a white ball, a red explosion, a Christmas tree explosion, uh, sorry, Christmas tree in the air that was green. <laughs> It could be if you look up, if you look under the underneath of a, perhaps of an aircraft, it does indeed look a bit like a Y, looks a bit like a tree. Um, so I think it goes from being a really obscure UFO case to being a really weird one. I then go, and actually, when you look at it a bit more seriously, we well, might actually just have a pilot who was a bit overzealous and perhaps far lower than he should have been. And it might also explain why the government didn't want to admit that it was one of their crafts because then they would be the, have to be the ones to pay out in the insurance. <laughs> wow that is a again a thorough yeah very thanks and then i wondered where we were going i did wonder where we were going with that based on so i was going to say that that link that that link i've sent you just there if you can see in the pictures on here you can mm. see the uh the 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 trees uh and this particular area of trees that is almost 20 to 40 feet lower depending on the tree that it is um, with this, the drone up in the air, all the trees are actually scarred. Um, if you've rolled down that page, all the trees really high up in the um, um, in the level of them are, are incredibly barren. There's whole sections where the trees have no growth at all. They're still scarred. They're still brown. They definitely experienced fire. Um, and these are like up like 40 feet in the air. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm just looking at the photos now. Yeah, I uh, like I say, I I was interested to see where we were going to go with with this. Um, I wasn't when you said ring of fire, uh, and then you mentioned the word Harrier. I thought okay, but up until that point, very very strange. Yeah, it's a, it's very strange. What's really interesting about it? There was lots of different professional people who were involved. Mm -hmm. Again, so I managed to get accounts of the. It, the guy was on the news. The, the building definitely got hit by something. The um, the fire chief who mentioned in the press the next day, the, the fire marshals who attended the school and then attended the house, the repairs that happened there. I mean, these are very physical, tangible things. The 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 uh, All the glass that got blown out, all the TV repairs that had to be done, video repairs that had to be done, um, the, the the steel slide that was melted. This is, this is definitely, um, these have experienced heat. Is it, this is um, just something is just take it on face value of being a UFO encounter. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, had it not been for Rachel's account, it would probably still be a, just a UFO encounter. But because of her view and then her adamancy that it definitely was the back end of, of a plane, it was definitely back end of a turbine. It goes, wait a minute, this puts a whole different spin on this because now actually I think we can narrow it down in a very different way. Um, and when you start. When you understand that it's a Chinook, it's, it's Linux helicopters. This is a recovery operation. They clearly already knew what it was that was there, and they were responding accordingly. And to have like the area locked off by police and by military for four days, like it was, kind of makes sense. Because mm -hmm. again, you have a sensitive military vehicle, you know, a Harrier. You know, it's 1987. Um, you don't want foreign adversary or you know people coming over. You might have jet fuel there. You don't want anyone getting damaged. Again, makes sense that there's a recovery there. It would also explain why they had to. And take um, all the soil up and put sand down. 
if it was um, if it was fuel leakage. <coughs> but it, it doesn't explain one thing, but I do speculate. This silver dust. Um, so that this is what covered that guy's house, and uh, ultimately that that house actually had to be demolished uh, because it the it, the building had tipped to the left because it was physically again it was struck. Um, so he was obviously he was extremely pissed over the course of the next couple of years. Um, that, I don't know if they actually paid for a house for him. I don't know. I never heard that. Nor did the carer cares tell me that. But um, it would probably explain the burn along. She, the way she described the upstairs was the wall kind of cracked inwards, and the, uh, that entire section was burnt. All the wallpaper had blistered, um, starting from a cupboard all the way along the, the children's bedroom wall. Um, so again, if it was to, if you just just to take it as a UFO encounter, two buildings got hit, lots of different ex things in the sky, massive explosion, and then you go, well, well how did? If you then take it as being a, a Harry or a plane, you know, it, it kind of adds up really differently. Because a Harrier, according to 1987, again, it's on this website here, is that one of the things it would have been carrying was chaff. Uh, which is, if you don't know what chaff is, it's a, it's a cartridge that's about 30 centimeters long, it's about two inches in diameter, and inside it is basically shredded foil. Mm -hmm. um, and the idea is that that foil would explode behind the aircraft and would create a radar dampening field, basically radio reflection. So if an enemy was to fire a heat-seeking missile, it would just get dispersed in this radar fog, effectively, this whole section of, of a falling foil. Um, so if that's what covered the house, it, it would kind of also make sense. And if that was all, it also would explain why at the, the second crash site, that's why the area was covered in that stuff, It was if it was carrying chaff. It's quite likely. <laughs> so I hope that's um, that's intrigued you. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. I've made tons of notes, but I, the questions they had, they sort of went on to then answer them. So that's uh, pretty well. That's the thing. Every, every kind of question that I found myself having was about myself. What would this be? If you go, if you go actually online looking for this case, um, there there was actually only three places I found that had anything to do with it. There was a place called the Ashley Rye Report. Do you know Stephen Greer? Dr. Stephen Greer, very famous guy, right? So his website in 2009 had an account. That, however, the website was discontinued where it was, and someone literally had copy and pasted it, but had referenced where it had come from, and then posted it into an Australian UFO magazine um, called Nexus. And it just happened to be that someone had kept that, um, like a PDF available on a website randomly in, in a box. Okay, as a random file. So I managed to find that PDF of Nexus magazine that linked to the Stephen Griff website. Um, and it was it was an account of this. It's called the Ashley Rye Report. Ashley uh, Rye Report. And again, it, it was it, it basically said in there that there was a UFO crash. It hit a building. There was a massive explosion in the sky. No one knew what it was. And there was, um, there was a recovery operation. And basically, they think they were recovering a UFO. And it goes on to explain things like, was there electromagnetic weapons being used? Or did the government shoot down a UFO with a lightning missile or something? Because some of the some of the descriptions of the UFO included like lights in the sky and the the strange zigzagging in, in the sky. And they assumed that was actually the government firing like lightning weapons and Tesla weapons at a UFO to shoot it down. And there was lots of pictures about the ST-80 um, space shuttle that had that. It, 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 it recorded a video of lightning in, in, in space and it looks like a, a lightning weapon. And they, they assumed by that definition that's what it was. So that's, and that's one account that's found online. Another one 
is a typed up copy of the file 31 report that's in John King's book. So if you go looking online, they are the only two, and there's a copy variant of the Ashley Rye report on a different website. Um, and again, it had it not been for uh, Hazel and it, had it not been for that lady I spoke to uh, that she directed me to, um, I think this would almost be forgotten. It wouldn't be known. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I spoke to Robert Moore about this from ASAP, who's kind of a, uh, a UFO historian, he was like, this is possibly the most incredible UFO encounter I've ever heard. But then I said, well, actually, I think it's, you know, how are you? And he goes, oh, oh, of course it is. <laughs> uh, interesting stuff. Awesome. Definitely. Thank you so much for going through that. It's, I mean, like I say, again, like the last case, I hadn't heard about it before. And just going through, it's like a bit of a roller coaster, going through all the different sections and then finding out that obviously the, that theory behind it. It's well, that, that, that's my theory. I think it just seems to, kind of like Spock would say, it's a theory that happens to fit the facts, but can't prove it. Because I think if, if they did prove it, it would mean the government has to acknowledge, or the RAF would, that it caused the damage. And thus, there might be a lot of insurance claims back claims i just think that they ever want to get involved so they're just yeah. kind of leaving history to kind of happen cool so you mentioned you referenced your website there a couple of times what is your website and where can our listeners find more about these cases and about you okay so these this uh, my website is just my name christianlander.com uh there's a whole section on there called the thunderbolt incident it's actually uh, eight different um the sort of blogs you can find uh one is um the, is the is a comprehensive timeline of events so Every reference that was found everywhere in chronological order, they kind of allows a reader, which is what, we, what I read through here, allows you to go through the details. Um, it quotes the sources of how I managed, because there was confusion over the date. Um, so I managed to verify that and the, the methods I had to do to get that sorted. Um, but yeah, you could find the Thunderbolt incident on there. And the Hollowell incident report, um, I just put up as a, a YouTube video on a podcast this past week. If you if you search uh, on your podcasts and whatever app you use, if you search for Our Curious World, uh, you will find Our Curious World special, the Hollywell incident, uh, is available this week. And so a lot of people have been listening to that. And I put that up as a YouTube video as well. Um, the same audio, so it's a, it's a good quality. And uh, we go through the details of what's in this report as well as the first-hand accounts. Uh, you can look at the photographs that was posted at the time of the, the children that were collapsed, and then we go through the report and some of the facts and details that are in there as well. So Amazing, amazing. Uh, yeah, so thank you, Christian, for coming on chatting to us. No, cool. I enjoyed it. That's brilliant. Yeah, thank you. That's highly fascinating stuff that we... Um, one of our... Um, original starting points was to talk around lesser known stories so i think these two definitely hit the hit the brief on that one um but yeah fascinating fascinating no dude i i was always told to um take um thank you um humbly I don't. I don't take thanks too well, and I, I sometimes I feel a bit. Sometimes I feel a bit embarrassed. But actually, you know what? It's what investigators should do. Find find the most closest facts to the source as possible. And I think you know. If, I think if we all do that, no matter what area of the paranormal we're looking at, whether it be ghosts, or be ufology, whether it be the weird stuff, the fourteen, you know, if you get as close to the source as possible, you can kind of more or less figure out what happened. Because if you take Occam's razor, you're kind of breaking it down to the most the fundamental elements. You, you kind of see a different story than if you've heard a story or read a story that's 10 times like down the line 
and you've got a lot of people's interpretation speculation on that so try and get it back to the evidence and you find there's a different story there absolutely well Great yeah advice. thank you again yeah so that was part two of our christian lander interview wrapping up these two fascinating cases that was my mind blown yeah yeah that one um this one that we've just been talking about is completely insane um just from what you think it is to what it actually is to what how it could it is, be. to what it could be to potential cover-up all over the place so yeah it's um yeah crazy crazy story and for those in the uk particularly the north christian will be talking at our meeting ufo identified a host in the meeting in manchester on the 25th of march so if anyone that's listening now at the time and is in the area head to the website ufoidentified.co.uk to find out how you can get tickets and hear more from christian live in person and join us next week where we will be talking to jeremiah who's the host of the what if they're wrong podcast we're going to be discussing conspiracies which is something new for us on the show very much so yeah looking forward to that one as well see you next week bye pursuit of the paranormal with ash and greg